Welcome everyone to this episode of the Perfect Part Podcast. In today's episode, I am joined by a fantastic author who has revolutionized my golf game, Stephen Yellen. Stephen, thanks for being with me today. Carter, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So let's start off with uh, who are you for the people who don't know? Well, um, I, as you heard, my name is, or as you mentioned, my name is Stephen Yellen. I um developed a, a program called the Fluid Motion Factor Program. And essentially what it does, it teaches golfers, actually it teaches all athletes, how to set up the very subtle conditions so they can access what they already own when they play. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit more about that. How did you uh, formulate it? Uh, when did you realize that needed to be done in the uh, sports industry. Sure. So I'll give you my sports background and how I how I initially um, had the impulse to come up with this program. So I actually, though, I, I teach mostly golf golfers. Uh, my background in sports is in tennis. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in the great state of Florida, and I had a successful junior career. When I was a senior in high school, I won the Florida State High School Singles Championship and was a member of the championship team. It's a great way to end uh, high school. Yeah. I went on to have a good, solid career uh, playing number one singles at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, was a member of the All-Ivy team there. Even had a win over Mr. Johnny McEnroe while I, was wow. student, while I, I went to school there. But when I was a senior at Penn, Carter, I had this extraordinary experience that literally changed my life and led me to develop this program. In a very typical challenge match against a fellow player, I went deep, deep into a place I never went before, a deep, deep zone experience. And, you know, I was sort of in the middle of the food chain of national junior and national collegiate tennis. I'd go to the nationals every year, which mm-hmm. in itself is an honor. I'd win a couple rounds, but you know, that would be all she wrote for me. But for that one hour, I experienced what these top five or top 10 players uh, felt. And the experience was overriding freedom, absolute freedom. I can do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. And it was ridiculously simple and easy to do. And I sat down after the match, it was just an hour, and literally I couldn't move for 10 minutes. I was so overwhelmed with this experience because I knew, I knew my life was not going to be the same after having this experience. And I knew in a way it was like a gift from nature that nature opened up its infinite reservoir of intelligence and said, okay, Stephen, we're going to give you the experience that every athlete regardless of the sport wants, and that's freedom. And then we're going to close that portal and you're going to have to figure out why it happened and perhaps come up with some kind of program that would teach others to have similar kinds of experiences. Mm -hmm. So um, after about 10 minutes, I got up, had to go to class or do something, and I could not let it go. I had to understand what precipitated it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was on it for 24-7, 
Finally, on the, uh, I can't remember, the second or third day, I woke up and I completely figured out the experience in that I understood completely, thoroughly, why I had a zone experience. And, you know, I was 21 years old at the time, and I thought it would take a year or two to develop a program that would give, and I wasn't even playing golf at the time, I was just playing tennis, Mm -hmm. that would give uh, tennis players a chance to at least be more consistent because that's what any athlete wants. They just want to become more consistent and then occasionally have those very magical zone experiences. Um, I was a little off in the time calculations, Carter. It didn't take two or three years. It literally took a lifetime to develop this program. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, and you, you packaged it all into a book called Simplicity. Um, and I was recommended to read that book because I struggle with all sorts of mental issues in, in terms of golf, overthinking, uh, being way too analytical and uh, results focused. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, why, how you incorporated all that directly into golf. Well, um, motion, fluid motion is produced identically regardless of what sport you're in. The body doesn't really care if you're swinging a golf club, hitting a, a tennis serve, or shooting a, um, a three-pointer or a foul shot. So the processes are exactly the same. So just like the heart works one way, the lungs, the kidneys work one way for everybody, well, producing fluid motion um, is identical uh, to in any sport. So once I understood, I actually spent um, many, many years talking about this with a neuroscientist um, who worked with two Olympic teams. And he would, uh, we would go over very thoroughly and exhaustively how fluid motion is produced uh, in the brain physiology because the swing doesn't control the swing. Processes in the mind control the swing. Right. So I would spend the whole year sort of massaging my program to imitate and work in conjunction with how the brain physiology itself produces fluid motion. And because that arena is so subtle, you know, I don't have to tell you when, you know, when you had your zone experiences, maybe before you read the book, you weren't too sure what was going on, but you love that space and you never want to leave that space. Exactly. And it's a very subtle arena because if it wasn't a subtle arena, once you experienced it once, you would figure it out. You would experience it another 10,000 times. But that's not how it works. So, And that's one of the main reasons why it took so long to develop this program, because you ha- I had to respect the subtle nuances, the subtle laws of motion that produce fluid motion, because if you violate them, you will be humbled in one swing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit more about what actually happens in the brain uh, when a golf swing is made. Sure. So uh, to produce emotion, any motion, whether it's a motion of walking across the street or a motion of hitting a golf ball, you have to generate a signal, an intention, electrical signal in the brain or else the club's not going to move. And there's two parts of the brain that are really interesting in producing motion. One is the prefrontal cortex, which is the front of the frontal part of the brain. 
It oversees all processes in the brain. Uh, it's called the CEO of the brain because of that. And the other part of the um, brain physiology that's very interesting in producing motion is the motor system. Now, when you, Carter, have produced a fluid golf swing during that 1.5 seconds it takes to generate a swing, that signal bypasses the prefrontal cortex. Prefrontal cortex is also the intellect, the discriminating intellect, goes right to the motor system, and it's the motor system which communicates with the body to produce motion. The problem occurs, and it's a mighty big problem, is when during the swing, the prefrontal cortex goes online, which means you're thinking too much. Then the signal is delayed in moving to the motor system. Then in the middle of this swing, the body's looking to, for direction from the mind because the body doesn't have the intelligence to swing. And because there's so many processes going on in the mind, that's when the bulkier core muscles dominate the motion and you produce anything but uh, fluid motion. Yeah. And I think something a lot of people don't realize, and at least I didn't realize until I read the book, was you, you really don't have to be uh, th actively thinking about the swing to make a good swing. Uh, if you've grooved a good swing, it really doesn't go away. Uh, talk a little bit about muscle memory. You know, your statement should be heard by every athlete on this planet because it will change their athletic career forever. And I'm talking about uh, top athletes in the NBA, MLB, NHL, Major League Soccer, Premier League, uh, you, anyone on the ATP Tour, LPGA, PGA, you get the picture. Now, when I heard this, because I didn't know this, my background is not in neurophysiology. I, I, <laughs> I, wasn't a, I wasn't a science major in school. I heard this about, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago now from this neuroscientist, Dr. Fred Travis, who worked with two Olympic teams, Norway and Denmark. And he said to me, almost sort of casually, he said, you know, Stephen, when someone has grooved emotion, that motion can never break down. What breaks down is the ability to access it. And, you know, to be honest, it didn't hit me what the ramifications of that statement were until a few days later. And then a nuclear explosion occurred in my little brain physiology because I realized what the ramifications were. And, um, you know, being a competitive athlete all my life, and I still compete in um, regional and national um, tournaments in tennis, I thought you have to reinvent the motion. You have to reinvent the footwork necessary to hit a... Uh, a good forehand. You have to reinvent um, keeping your eye on the ball, paying attention to keeping your eye on the ball, paying attention to where the racket is, follow through balance. You don't. And this is, this is mind blowing. It could change careers literally on the PGA tour today. If people knew this, because they're all trying to reinvent the swing. Yeah. So once emotion is, and the key phrase is once emotion is groove, the key word is groove, meaning that you go to the range, you drop a bucket of balls, you're feeling no pain. Yeah. Okay. You're always going to be in a certain range uh, of, uh, of um, competency. We're not talking about a beginning golfer who has not grooved their motion. They're sort of putting money in the bank, you could say. 
And the bank account is not large enough now to generate uh, a repetitive swing uh, on the range. But we're talking about those golfers who have a groove motion. And if you have a groove motion, you know you have a groove motion. At that point in time, your motion, regardless of what happened during the motion, cannot break down. Now, of course, when you don't hit the ball well, something happened in the motion. You got too quick. The transition was off. The hands weren't in the, in the proper place. You were too shallow, too steep. You left the club face open. You held on to the club. You guided it. It could be a million things. But that's the symptom. That's not the cause. The cause is you violated a sort of a rule of the bank where your muscle memory is stored. And when you violate a rule of the bank, you are trying to boil water at 200 degrees Fahrenheit. And it doesn't matter how much you believe that water will boil at 200 degrees Fahrenheit. It will never boil at 200 degrees Fahrenheit. It has to be 212. So once a player understands this, and this is a major, major paradigm shift that is not talked about anywhere, because if you listen to any broadcast on any tournament on, the, on, on, on TV, you will see and hear them analyze what went wrong in the swing. They'll bring in, you know, mm-hmm. the Minolta biz, biz Hub, you know, swing analyzer, and you're heel Nick Faldo. Well, he was too steep. Oh, he cut across where. Well, that's, that's a superficial understanding of the problem. Because if that same player turned around and hit a ball to nowhere, the swing 99% of the time would have no mechanical deficiency. So what it is, is that when you're out there and you feel when you have to recreate the swing on every shot, and when you miss a swing, you, miss a sh- you swing poorly, that you have to go to the problem, then you are doing yourself a great disservice. And the chances are you will never reach your potential in this great game of golf. So how I think we've kind of determined that we need to bypass the prefrontal cortex to achieve good fluid golf. Yes. What, what are the first steps in doing that? Well, the first step in doing that. And again, when, when I, when, when someone goes through my program and it's a two day program because there's a lot of information is first they get an overview of how fluid motion is produced sort of a whiteboard presentation of how fluid motion is produced and why it breaks down. So they have a little uh, intellectual understanding. But the brain physiology has to experience something very specific um, in order to sink a swing and to generate fluid motion. And essentially, it has to experience silence. You have to get the prefrontal cortex offline. So I have, I teach what is what I call fluid cues and fluid cues set up by design what normally um, a player just experiences by chance when they play their best. And um, there's uh, many fluid cues, but I'll just go over one of the main ones. And that is the brain physiology. Before I, I give you what the fluid cue is, I'll just mention this, that the brain physiology has to experience a certain environment in order to sink a swing. And that environment can be described 
in many different words, but I think the, um, the most powerful description of it is wholeness, that the brain physiology has to experience a threshold level of wholeness before it's able to sink a swing. So wholeness sounds abstract, so let's, let's make it concrete. Um, let's say you're making a, um, a smoothie, Mm-hmm. And you put in all kinds of ingredients, a banana, raspberry, strawberry, apple, and then you hit the blend button. Now, after you hit the blend button, if you could see the outline of the banana from the other parts of the smoothie, you really do not uh, – other, other parts of the smoothie, yeah. You really do not have a smoothie. So what happens – let's switch to golf. What happens when someone's behind the ball? They're on the course and they're figuring out what kind of shot they want to hit. They take into consideration a lot of different factors. They take into consideration the lie, the wind, the temperature, what kind of club they they want to hit, how they want to hit it, how aggressive, where they are in the round. They could take into consideration where they are in their life, okay? You put anything into that golf blender. Now, they're over the ball and they're about to pull the trigger. If they have not made a smoothie, meaning that all the elements of the shot have been blended together so that not one element is pulsating over another element, don't hit it left, don't hit it right, don't hit it long, don't hit it short, get the club in this position. If they have not experienced a threshold level of wholeness, a wholeness can be defined as making a smoothie where everything is integrated together. If they have not experienced a threshold level of wholeness before they pull the trigger, chances are they're not going to experience a threshold level of wholeness during the swing, and that's when you go into crisis management. Now, let's look at how just about every golfer, what they experience when they're over the ball and that split second right before they pull the trigger. Because... And it's a huge, huge mistake. They equate intention or attention with execution. Attention with execution, meaning that if I put my attention on doing this or I put my attention on doing that, I have a better chance of actually executing the shot. They are systematically breaking wholeness. They're systematically weakening the brain physiology's ability to sink the swing. But that's all they that's all they've been taught. They don't have mm-hmm. plan B, they only have plan A. So plan A is teaching somebody that to experience a threshold level of wholeness before they pull the trigger. Now, great ball strikers, whether they know it or not, doesn't matter. The laws of nature, the laws of motion operate independent of human belief. The great ball strikers of all time, Ben Hogan, um, uh, Byron Nelson, Trevino, Watson, Nicholas, Tiger, they all experienced a threshold level of wholeness before they pulled the trigger, whether they knew it or not. And that's why they were great ball strikers and the great champions that they are. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about, you know, you have the thinking part of golf, right? You got to uh, assess your lie, check the pin location, the wind, how do you set a line between, okay, I'm done thinking, now it's time to just do it? All right. 
So I teach, <laughs> I teach that there's, there's two parts of, uh, of a shot. The first part of the shot is, your, is what I call universe one. And in mm-hmm. universe one, you want to take into consideration all the elements of the shot. In other words, what you want to do. And when you do this, and you know, you take in five, six, seven elements of a shot, you immediately create an algorithm. An algorithm is just a formula that describes in one formula all the different parts of, uh, of in this case, of what you want to do with the ball. So you want to use your prefrontal cortex in universe one. You want to take into consideration all the elements. You want to have an intelligent shot constructed according to the circumstances. But once you're done with that, you step over sort of an imaginary line, maybe three or four feet behind the ball. You step over into what I call universe two. Now, what usually occurs in universe two is people remind themselves of what they created in universe one. Don't hit it long. Don't hit it short. Get the club in this position, blah, blah, blah. Do you think you're going to forget what you created in universe one in the three seconds it takes you to to, um, get to universe two? No. But what you're doing is you're systematically weakening the brain physiology. There's one goal in universe one, create the algorithm. There's one goal in universe two, and it's not to remember the algorithm because you're not going to forget it. The goal in universe two is to create a threshold level of wholeness before you pull the trigger. That's the only thing you have control over because once that trigger is pulled, there's a, a, a singer that was um, quite well known when I grew up. Grew up. I, I, you, know, you know it because it's from the book, but if you didn't read the book, I don't think you would know this singer book. Okay, let's be honest yeah. here. You know, her name is Carol King. She sings a song called It's Too Late, Baby. It's too late, baby. We really did try to make it, but something inside has died, and I no longer can fake it. Once you pull that trigger, it's Carol King. It's too late. You, the club is moving upward, upwards to, what, 120, 123 miles an hour? Um, you cannot go in there and micromanage. Things are moving too fast. So once you pull the trigger, you better may have made sure that you have created that threshold level of wholeness. And once you do, well, you tell me, Carter, what's your experience when you play? What's your experience? When you can do that, and even with the system, I can do it so many more times than not. And some days are still, you're going to have bad days. But when you do it, it's just, I mean it's different. It, it is very hard to explain without you, uh, you experience, experiencing it yourself. Uh, it's just, I mean, you, it's easier to envision shots and see that shot actually come off the club face. And that just builds confidence. It builds trust in your swing. You know, um, it's, um, it's paying homage to the brilliance of the human brain physiology. That's what this program really is and what it does. And when I teach someone the program, I say, look, this is not really my program because, uh, you know, Stephen Yellen may be clever. He's not the creator, okay? He didn't create how fluid motion is produced. He just came up with a program 
that sets up by design so you can um, you can produce it more often. But it's it's your birthright, and um, and it happens it happens pretty quick to set those conditions up when someone first learns it because the, the mind wants to experience more silence when it produces motion. It, that's the default state. It's the default state. So when you just sort of give someone a, a little nudge, just a little bit, set up these very simple fluid cues and ask someone to do something ridiculously, almost kindergartenish, the mind immediately responds and it immediately starts to settle down because it wants to settle down. The mind has to be active if you're taking a calculus test, okay? It has, you don't want to shut down the prefrontal cortex. But to produce motion, that's a different animal. That's a different, you know, uh, arena and area of life. So once you give someone just a little uh, something to do that allows the mind to settle down, immediately the mind settles down. And that's why, who, regardless of, of who I've taught, they all have experienced the same thing, is that the mind becomes more quiet and silent almost immediately. And another thing I would add by doing this uh, this was the first, my tournament I won this past weekend was the first event I've been in contention in in almost a year. It's been a long time. And the amount of nerves I felt was so minimal. I was like incredibly surprised just because my brain was already so quiet and not thinking about things. It just continued in that uh, area. It just continued going. And I felt s- such a low amount of nerves. It was very surprising to me. So are you saying that there could be ramifications for this program away from the course? Of course, definitely. Because the mind is like an ocean. It has surface levels and it has deeper, quieter levels. And when you um, start accessing those deeper, quieter levels, the mind is actually more powerful. So once you start experiencing that in one area of life, the mind says, hey, look, I don't have a golf club in my hand. I'm not on the first tee. I still want to have that experience. So what you're doing is you're culturing the mind to have that experience away from whatever sport you're playing. And that makes the mind more powerful. And, you know, it's a no-brainer. It's obvious that when the mind is more powerful – you're gonna, uh, your actions are going to be more successful and you're going to get more enjoyment out of life. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, I do want to bring up uh, meditation. I want to ask you your thoughts on that because I've had uh, quite a few guests on the podcast earlier this season that uh, deal with the mental side of golf that recommend it. What are your thoughts on it? Well, in 1975, uh, I learned transcendental meditation. Because my mother saw Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the founder of TM, on the Merv Griffin show with Clint Eastwood. Okay. He said if Clint Eastwood could learn how to meditate, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really associate uh, meditation with Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Maybe the opposite, you know, dirty hair, make my day, you know. So she called me up. I was a senior at Penn. She said, Stephen, I just saw Clint Eastwood on Merv Griffin. I want to learn transcendental meditation. I said, fine, let's do it. So I learned in August of 75. It was the single best decision that I ever made in my life because it affected all areas of my life. And I will say this as well. Had I not learned TM and practiced it regularly for, what, 46 years now, 
uh, how many, 1975 until now, however, however many years that is, it's 40, 46 for, uh, whatever. Okay. Um, I would not have developed this program. This program would never have been developed. And the reason why it would have never been developed, that it, uh, in my mind, and I, I believe I'm 100% correct in saying this, that the fluid motion factor program could not have been developed by someone sitting down and intellectually trying to figure it out. It just wouldn't happen. It's too mm-hmm. subtle. So the reason why, one of the main reasons why it took so long is that as the years went by in regularly practicing TM, my mind became very familiar with that field of silence deep within uh, our minds that we all have. And because it became so familiar with that level of silence in the mind, because it became such, I was so intimate with it, and that I understood all its nuances, I was able to construct something that would allow someone to experience that with their eyes open rather than with their eyes closed, because obviously no one plays a sport with their eyes closed. Right. But, but because I, I sort of, in a way, own that space more and more every year, I knew what had to occur in the brain physiology in order to, one can say, transcend with their eyes open. And of course, when you transcend transcendental meditation, the mind goes from a surface level to a deeper level. But you do that with your eyes closed. You're limited when the senses are awake because the senses are going. You want to really transcend. The senses have to be quieted. So the eyes have to be closed. You play golf with your eyes open. But I came up with these techniques that allow someone to really transcend um, to a a quieter level with their eyes open. Yeah. So how just just to finish the thought, how important is it? Every athlete should learn TM. Every athlete. Okay. Because because how they're going to get better is not so much by the quality of their motion. Everyone, uh, I'll qualify that, everyone on PGA Tour, who doesn't have a bad swing, okay? I mean, you go to the range uh, on a PGA Tour and you say, well, anyone can win. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. ridiculous how they hit the ball. Then, you know, two days later, half the field is gone. A year later, you know, uh, 25% of them don't have their card anymore. So it's not the quality of their motion because if it was the quality of their motion, you know, every there would be a different winner um, every every week because they all have you know fantastic motions. It's not the quality of their motion; it's the quality of their silence during the motion. It's the quality of the of of how powerful integrated the brain physiology is operating during the 1.5 seconds it takes to generate a swing. So if you can do something to accelerate that, to culture that, which is what TM does twice a day, 20 minutes, uh, you can do it anywhere. You don't have to change your religion or diet or belief or anything. You just add it to your lifestyle. If you can do something that cultures the mind to be more and more familiar with that space, that means that in a competitive situation, the barriers to entry 
to experience that silence is um, is lessened to a great, great extent. Yeah. I really want to highlight what you said about it's not the quality of the motion, it's the quality of the quietness of the motion. Absolutely. And that, I like that. Um, and then I want to go over a place where I was six months ago, and I have a feeling at least one of the people who are uh, going to be listening to this episode are there, uh, Swing Prison. What is oh, Swing Prison? Uh, you, want to, you want to go back to Swing Prison, Carter? No, I don't. Don't care to. So virtually every golfer on the PGA Tour is in Swing Prison, swing prison LPGA Tour, any of the big amateur tournaments. Swing Prison means that they feel they have to reinvent the swing on every shot. Every shot, they got to start over. They have to go through their checklist. They have to make sure this is happening or that is happening. Now, when they go to a range and they drop five or six balls and they hit the first five or six balls, how sweet does that feeling, how, how sweet does that feel? How innocent, how pure. Uh, they're not in swing prison. Then all of a sudden, they start thinking about what they're working on what broke down in uh, the last tournament and right away the prefrontal cortex gets engaged comes on you're generating your intentions from the surface level of the mind um therefore you only have the surface level of intelligence of the body oh i think this is important um for uh, for me to say is is um that the mind, as I mentioned, is like an ocean. There are surface levels and there are deeper, quieter levels. Everyone has this experience every day, especially when they go to sleep at night. The body has the same intelligence. There are the gross, core, bulkier muscles, which are important for emotion. But if they dominate emotion, it's not going to be fluid. And then the body has deeper levels of intelligence. It has the ability to fire the fast twitch muscles, to smooth out emotion, and to self-correct emotion. Now, here's the secret sauce. When you generate an intention from a surface level of the mind, you only have access to the surface level intelligence of the body. But the way the whole thing is set up is that when you generate an intention, we're talking about during the swing, from a deeper, quieter level of the mind, you have no choice but to access the deeper level of intelligence of the body. So when someone is playing really well, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter how you get there, the mind is very quiet. They're generating their intention from a deeper level of the mind. They, therefore, they have access to the deeper level of intelligence of the body. When that same player goes out and just plays miserably the next day, uh, of course, something happened during a swing. But the reason why is that he was generating intentions from the surface level of the mind. Now, what happens when you're in swing prison is that you consistently start generating intentions from the surface level of the mind. And therefore, you only have access to the surface level of intelligence of the body. Now, why do you generate intentions from the surface level of the mind? Well, you feel you have to recreate the swing on every shot. I've got to take it back, not too far on the outside, not too far on the inside. I've got to make sure my hands are set in a certain position. I have to do something on the downswing. I have to make sure, you know, the, the club face is squared impact. It could be anything. And when the prefrontal cortex gets engaged, you can only generate intentions from the surface level of the mind. 
So you're never going to the reason why you missed the shot. You're only trying to analyze the symptoms. And that's a very exhausting and a very, I'm sure you would agree, painful process. Yes. Especially when you're in competition. Yes. And I experienced that pretty much all of last year and until I encountered an injury. And that's where my mind was, I was able to take a step back, step out of it and really see how much mentally I was going wrong. And here we are now. Uh, so I think we've covered a lot of really, really solid stuff so far. Um, I always like to ask my guests, uh, besides your own book, what are three books you recommend everyone read? My first two. So the first one is called The Seven Secrets of World-Class Athletes, which talks about the fluid motion factor. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to mention some other books too that talks about fluid motion factor in other sports, um, golf, tennis, baseball, basketball. The second book I wrote actually is not on the marketplace anymore because it's replaced with simplicity. But if I was to recommend um, some books for someone to read, well, you know, I like the, um, the inner game of tennis, which was really the first sports psychology book came out in 75. Okay. It gives a, a wonderful understanding of um, that there is an inner intelligence of the physiology, and the whole goal is to access it. Um, I think that would be a, um, a helpful book. Sports, sports. Uh, there's a book by Stephen Coulter called The Rise of Superman. You ever hear it? Okay. I've heard of it. I have not read it. It's an extraordinary book. Now, if, um, if someone's playing golf and they don't have a zone experience, it's not so bad, okay? I mean, you know, life right. is going to go on, right? I mean, it'd be nice if they had some kind of zone experience, maybe if it's just on a couple shots or, you know, a couple holes or whatever. For those who are doing extreme sports, okay, riding 40-foot, 50-foot waves, um, climbing mountains barehanded, um, jumping off uh, mountains, you know, mm -hmm. extreme sports. If they don't have a zone experience, they could die. Right. It's not like they're not going to have a bad day. That's going to be all she wrote. So Stephen Coulter wrote this absolutely brilliant and fascinating book called The Rise of Superman, which talks about the zone experiences that these extreme athletes, and he, he, he writes about it in very great detail, uh, had. It's uh, how, he, how he wrote this book and how he spoke, he got all these interviews is just absolutely extraordinary. But essentially um, what they say in so many words, and some of them say it directly, is that the prefrontal, their prefrontal cortex shut down. It had to. Because if you're doing extreme sports and the mind is engaged, and you, you put your, your hand or your foot on a wrong little slot coming out of a mountain, mm -hmm. you, you could die. That's it. So right. they, it's, they, they have extreme intuition. And intuition means the prefrontal cortex is shut down. So uh, I, would, uh, I would recommend those two books. I think they're excellent. Awesome. Well, where can people find out more about you and about Simplicity? 
Sure. So Simplicity is available on Amazon. Uh, my website is fluidmotiongolf.com. It's one word. Um, there's um, three ways you can learn the program. The first way is you can read the book. The second way is I have an online program where I communicate with you over Skype. And the third way, which is always the most effective way, is to learn the program in person. Because when uh, you learn it in person, I can see through your body language exactly what you're thinking, exactly what you're doing. And obviously, um, that always is the most effective way of coaching. Yeah. Well, thank you once again for joining me today. Thanks, Carter. You, I think you have a great career ahead of you. You're a very bright, intelligent guy. And uh, I hope you remember me when you're rich and famous, okay? <laughs> thank you. 